the best advice that I've heard that I would continue to stand behind is just obsession and obsession with your customer. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next entrepreneur guest, lovely, lovely, smart, exciting idea and female of course. Yay! Entrepreneur here, Jessica Rolf, who is the co-founder and CEO of this amazing, amazing company called Love Every. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. You are. You are. I I love it. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about Jessica first, and then we'll jump right in and get all kinds of uh, dialogue going with her. But Jessica Rolf is the serial entrepreneur and and co-founder and CEO of Love Every. And it is a direct-to-consumer brand that you've probably seen it if you do not know what it is. And if you don't have smaller kids, as my kids have grown up, definitely you should have one of these around the house because there's always kids that are coming through. And and uh, there's, there are these amazing, beautiful, beautiful kits that are just so fun and educational. And they've won all kinds of awards as well. And, and uh, they're really geared towards child development through play. So definitely, definitely check them out if you haven't seen it. She's also a board member and founding partner of Happy Family. Uh, You may also know that product. It's an organic baby food company that she helped launch and build. And in a short space of time, they grew to more than 13 million in sales. And Inc. Magazine listed them as one of the fastest growing companies in 2011. Um, Jessica is just an amazing entrepreneur, learned so many lessons. So I'm very excited to have you here today. So thanks for coming on. Thank you, Kara. So fun to be with you. Really, really excited. So Jessica, let's jump right in. Tell me a little bit about little Jessica. Who was she? Where did she grow up? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm a Minnesotan. I grew up in Minnesota. And, you know, I think that as a child, I, you know, kind of loved to take risks, um, but I didn't have, I wasn't one of those kids with a lemonade stand. You know, I would, mm-hmm. I would, my mom really encouraged me to take risks um, by like, you know, as a third grader ask, I'd love to sing and making an appointment with my teacher to ask if I could sing a solo, you know, it was sort of like an arbitrary, but all this, I remember my heart pounding. And um, so I grew up in Minnesota, went to school in upstate New York, and then met my co-founder, Shazi, and we co-founded Happy Family based out of New York when we first started. That's great. So you guys were college buddies. 
You know, we we actually didn't know each other. So we had oh. um, both been really passionate about the natural products industry. She had this great idea to do something different in the baby food space. At the time, mm. you know, it was really dominated by Gerber and the jars were everything. Only 3% of all baby food consumed was organic at the time. And she wanted to create something that was more focused on nutrition and a really modern brand. And I was working at Whole Foods at the time and had a different idea in food that never panned out. And so I said, this woman that um, kind of loosely knew each of us, said, you two should know each other. And so she connected us and we really hit it off. That's wild. And so was that your first job out of school was Whole Foods? So... Yeah, I had actually, um, I worked at the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, as an oh. as a paralegal, my first job out of school. I thought I wanted to become a lawyer and like really kind of wanted to help, you know, I was sleeping in cardboard boxes to protest, you know, in college, just the inequities and you know, really kind of like really had a lot of passion and heart um, for need and couldn't imagine going into the business world. And so took a job. My first job was in the legal field and really trying to help. I volunteered at the legal clinic for the homeless and really felt like I was going to make my life there and didn't do that well in the LSAT, um, which was actually a gift. Studied really hard, but did not do very well. It's a really hard test. And also, you know, kind of had all the pamphlets of law school on my lap and just felt like this is not the path for me. It's just, it wasn't truly my calling. And so kind of on a whim moved to San Francisco and took a job in political consulting. And so I was writing research papers, um, like 400 you know, page research papers. And and then really kind of discovered that I loved this intersection between business and society, business and social change. And so volunteered for this organization called the Full Circle Fund and took a job at an advertising agency that was doing some digital work that I was really inspired by and created a vision that I wanted to become a social entrepreneur. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, 
long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Interesting. And, and then how did you get to Whole Foods then? Yeah. So um, I went to business school and my now husband and I had an, he had the idea to create a business um, for Lance Armstrong at the time that was a kind of like Newman's own model. Like how could we bring health and nutrition also paired with the nonprofit and and feed the nonprofit with these important dollars that can come from like a for-profit business. 
And so we were writing the business plan and working at it. But the yellow bracelet campaign happened at the time. All those, remember those yellow um, plastic bracelets? And Lance Armstrong Foundation was like, we don't need to start a food company. We've got, we're minting money here and, and, you know, doing really well. And so I decided to take a job. I was getting my MBA and decided to take a job at Whole Foods um, working for an organization called Spins, which I think back in the day, you probably bought data from Spins. Yeah. And uh, was there and got introduced to Shazi and was so longing to start a company and was so grateful for that that introduction to meeting my co-founder of Happy Family. So tell me the story behind Happy Family. Yeah. So Shazi had the idea for the business. And as I said, the space was just like, you know, Gerber was dominating. There was only 3% of all baby food consumed was organic. And it was just like one of those kind of old industries. Like you, but you, but there was all this new life and new intention from parents. And a lot of parents were struggling with making baby food homemade. So she had an idea to make fresh baby food and really try and, you know, make something better that parents could feel better about. And so I joined her and very soon after we learned that we could not produce fresh baby food at scale, that peas go bad, you know, less than seven days. And we just, you know, the technology that was required was so expensive at the time. And so we decided to launch a frozen baby food. The retailers loved it. You know, we got into Target as a test. It was so exciting. Got into Whole Foods stores, but nobody knew that frozen baby food was in the frozen aisle. The baby food's in the frozen aisle and really like it was a total flop. So we pivoted and launched some dry cereal and launched some puffs and then started to finally kind of get some traction and build a brand that became a real alternative to a lot of the, you know, sort of traditional brands that were selling jarred foods. Looking back at Happy Family, what was the hardest thing about growing that brand? Oh my gosh, like what wasn't the hardest thing about that journey? <laughs> I mean, I honestly, there were so many, it was like everything was hard. And I think what was really hard was not having product market fit from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we did, we did some testing, we did some focus groups and we would hear from parents that they loved or the fresh, we had this adorable like cube tray and, you know, people could pop out the peas and pop out the fresh carrots and it looked so good and retailers were excited about it. And so then to realize that we were a failure um, when we launched and that, you know, it was not moving. I remember I got in the, so we did the test at Target in the Midwest. And as I said, I'm from Minnesota. So I, my dad and I drove, put all 24 stores on a map um, and it was all over the state of Minnesota and some in Iowa on these test stores. And we literally drove around and just bought the baby food. It just cleared the shelves so we could stay and survive on shelf. And we were handing them out for free to parents like, try this. Here's a free coupon for, you know, free baby food. So we were, my dad was kind of like scanning the aisles, looking for anybody who was pregnant or had a baby. Um, so it was just, I think, so hard when money's running out, you know, you've kind of gotten these committed investors, you've done so much to get to where you are, and then to find that your first product launch isn't going to work. Um, it's really scary. Super scary. And so what did you do at that point? Um yeah, so we ended up really needing to pivot super quickly and we needed to buy time. So we mm-hmm. bought time by literally buying our own products. <laughs> we created yeah. a community marketing program where we had moms, you know, going out and and giving out like lots of free coupons um for I know, remember just to that. try it. 
Yeah, which was do a you? great idea. Yeah, I do. I remember <laughs> it. I re- I remember watching, uh, and I mean, you really like grabbed the community and and armed them, right? With, yeah. So you guys did an excellent job of that. Well, we we hustled. We really hustled. And then I think pivoting to figuring out how we could launch something in the dry aisle that would then point people to the frozen aisle. So we had these little coupons that we put on top of our cereal that was probiotic and different, and you know, DHA. It wasn't quite the total revolution that we were hoping for wasn't from the jar to this like fresh frozen cubes, but it was um, an evolved cereal. And then, you know, kind of like think outside the jar, look in the freezer, you know, trying to point people to the frozen baby food. And so to, to again, buy us some time at the time we got so lucky because Earth's Best, the big cereal manufacturer in Whole Foods went out of stock. They had some supply problem that lasted months. And so, and this was the exact moment that we entered the market. So remember just getting, you know, like, like feet of shelf space just from nowhere for us because of this out of stock issue. And so we really got that break. And then it gave us the momentum to be able to, you know, kind of continue and, raise more money and figure out how to get into more dry snacks. And then eventually the pouch, which um, became a really popular way for parents to be able to have convenient food, but also really healthy food, mix of fruits and vegetables. We put some uh, salba, which is like a chia into the pouch, which was really unique and different and coconut oil and some different things. And so that really propelled our brand and we we were scaling from there. But there was some really scary times in the early days. I, I can only imagine as, as a founder. I mean, it's just everything sounds right on the outside. I mean, you guys are just growing. Everything's great. You're, I, as I share with so many people, I think that there are so many founders that are going through their own private hell, right? That you're driving around and, you know, oh, I just want to hang out with my dad while I'm driving around. You know, you're trying to pull the stuff and, and you know, maybe even raise a family at the same time while you're doing all of all of this. It's just, I can only imagine how nutty it is. And, and in the end, you guys were acquired, right? Yes, we were acquired by a group Danone. Um, and it was really exciting. I mean, between, you know, launch in um, seven years, we got the company to 63 million in sales. And Amazing. we were acquired by a group Danone, which was, you know, really special for us because we were so aligned with their vision for, you know, for where they wanted to take the company and their values orientation. So it was like really, it was a really great day when that happened. Okay. That's awesome. Did you guys, did they just reach out to you or were you surprised when, when that happened or had you actually hired a banker or? You know, we had, um, my co-founder and I had both developed a relationship with Seth Goldman from the original founder of Honest Tea, who now has, um, some cool new alternatives to beef jerky in his, his new company as mushroom jerky. It's really cool. You should check it out. But, um, we had both known him separately and then he was very supportive and an early investor. He invested $2,500 in our first round of of financing in Happy Family. And I will say like just having very low or no minimums can really make a difference (laughs) to just cobbling together that seed capital. I am like a huge proponent of of very low or no minimums. But then Seth introduced us to Gary Hirschberg of Stonyfield. And Gary was with Danone. And so um, we developed, you know, kind of this ongoing relationship with Gary. And Danone actually had looked at maybe investing in us early, but but then we had this sort of ongoing relationship and and were able to, when it was time to sell, we were able to really, you know, lean in and 
um, and make that process work. But it was it was a competitive process. There were a lot of competitive baby food companies at the time. Yeah. There was, you know, a lot of um, companies that kind of were scaling at the same time. It was it was really intense. And so we felt really fortunate to have been able to align with Group Danone. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a great product. And I you should be so proud that you guys had had uh, you know, developed this and and successfully sold it. And then you decided to go into the children's product space, totally go jump into out of food, into this into this new industry. So what what were you thinking? I mean, what was what was kind of the where was your head on on thinking about developing this? Yeah, you know, I really felt like I wasn't finished, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like I just had so much. And I think maybe part of it is um you know, just kind of like this experience of building happy family. I felt like I learned so much and I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to um, continue with my career. And I had this personal experience that was really moving for me. So I had three children of my own and I felt so good about what I was feeding them. I was feeding them all like organic, healthy foods. And I found myself on the floor with one of my babies. And you might remember this, Kara, like those plastic light-up toys with all mm-hmm. the stuff. You know, you push one button and all of a sudden, like a purple cow pops out, lights are flashing, music's playing. And, you know, I was really craving a moment of connection with my baby. And instead, I felt like disconnected. And I also found myself wondering, what was this toy and all the toys in his playroom for, you know, frankly, doing for his development. Because I think we're starting to hear, and I think that the message was starting to get out at the time that the early years do matter. So there's this public policy, public service message. It's like 80% of the brain is developed by age three and the early years matter. And half of who we become is based on those early years and those early experiences that we have. And, you know, the other half is, you know, there's genetics obviously plays a part, but your environment plays a big part. And so I felt really good about the nutrition piece, but I had, there was like this big empty sort of like unknown around cognitive development. And so I discovered this really nerdy doctoral thesis written on infant brain development. And I started doing these activities with my babies and getting rid of all the toys that we had and sort of making my own and like just finding so much joy and connection in and really understanding what they wanted to learn. It made me feel like like a good mom, frankly, like a confident parent. And so I started dreaming about when we had sold Happy Family, I started dreaming about, okay, like what would it look like to have something that's really more of like a system and a support system for parents that kind of builds on Happy Family? Like we were very much a support for early nutrition, but what if it felt more holistic around brain development? And so developed this concept for a stage-based learning program that you know really didn't, didn't exist uh, before. So it was really exciting. I love it. It's actually, you know, thinking about it, it it really is a natural progression. I mean, it's it's interesting with Hint. For me, health really started with what I was putting in my body, but then I started to really think about the customer journey and about how, you know, things like sunscreen and things like we've gone into other categories. Sometimes that's where people enter, right? Maybe people were not... Um, we're not kind of thinking about the about baby food and better for you baby food, but then they're thinking about the toys and about the better for you brain development. And then I think just building on kind of what you were doing and how people were, uh, you know, 
feeling about the product and and I think it it totally makes sense on so on lots and lots of levels. So I love it. There are tons of science behind your products too, as I dug into um, some of that. So, and how did you go about going and getting um, kind of the science side of the research? That's a great question. And I think even before then, it's um, there's this like moment where before you kind of build the new thing, there's uh-huh. this real vulnerability around, you know, am I like a one hit wonder? Like, is this just going to be it? you know, for my career, like, can I really hit the jackpot twice? Yeah. Um, and be successful twice. And what, um, you know, I think that there's really a moment of self-doubt before you start anything as an entrepreneur, you know, it's before it's out in the world, it can feel very vulnerable. But I think for me, I just felt so compelled by what you talked about by this mission. And I think that for career transitions, it's very much about like keeping one foot in, like where you have knowledge and success. Like with you, you know, you understand the marketplace of how to sell things. You know how to make products that are differentiated and you know how to sell things. But then also taking a foot and putting it into a new new territory and taking a risk. So for me, it was very much like I understood early life. I knew that parent and what they wanted because I was one of them. Yeah. Um, but then it's also taking this leap into a whole nother, for us, it's really direct to consumer and really understanding how to build a subscription stage-based business that is not at retail. Um, that was all the new learnings um, for me and my co-founder. So my new co-founder at Love Every, Rod. Um, so to answer your question, we definitely are, re- you know, we're very much research-backed. There are so many, there's so much science on early life that is not reaching parents. So, you know, you have these appointments with your pediatrician, but they're focusing on the health of the baby. Yeah. Frankly, like, you know, you have multiple children, you kind of forget, like even, you know, not only do you have your first and you have no idea what to do, but then even when you have your second or your third, you're like, what was the stage again? It kind of yeah. feels like you sort of have like amnesia from like, I can't remember remember what it was like to, you know, go through all these stages. And so I think for us, you know, there's so many, there's so much research. There were so many partners. We partner with OT professionals, PT, speech therapists. We have neuroscientists who just study how babies learn math. And there's actually a lot of innate learning that babies already have when they're born about numeracy. It's fascinating. Um, and then how do you build on that? Um, so there's a, there's a lot um, of research there. It's very easy to kind of access it. It's just not really reaching parents in a practical, actionable way. So interesting. So you're 100% direct to consumer. You are not doing retail. We are about, you know, north of 80% of our business is direct to consumer because that's what we want is this ongoing relationship with parents. Um, Our strategy for launching the company was to not launch the early learning program from the beginning because we really wanted to to kind of like really understand how the brand was going to resonate and how our, um, we had this insight that there was a product, uh, the play gym, you probably had them for your yeah. kids. Um, they haven't, they hadn't changed much since when your kids were little, it's a cluttered category, but it's such an opportunity for an early learning. It's such an early learning opportunity. And if you can make it nuanced and stage-based and really kind of change that product, you can really offer this platform for learning for the first year. And so we launched that product in on Amazon and direct. And so we were able to build our brand awareness through the Amazon platform because it's a highly registered for item. We had product market fit from the beginning. It was such a relief. It was, I felt like I learned so much from my happy family experience, did not want to relive that. So we took a while and a lot of testing before we launched and, you know, kind of applied all the learnings from happy family to this new venture. 
And so we we were really able to to you know get the play gym out. It became number one in revenue within a year on Amazon in a very crowded category. Um, and then that became really kind of the platform for for our early learning program because people really trusted our brand and kind of loved the the play gym. I love it. So how do you think your business changed through the pandemic? And how like how were your customers, were they different than they were 15 months ago, or at least how you looked at them? I mean, did you feel like it was, uh, did you see a dramatic shift in kind of their behavior in any way? Yeah. I mean, before the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of, my co-founder and I were seeing a lot of brand awareness growing. So we were really, really kind of cranking on the revenue generation side and on trying to figure out, you know, this this um, machine of building a direct-to-consumer company, you know, around content building and, and all of the ways that we wanted to have touch points with parents. You know, the pandemic was such a big deal for parents in particular. You know, mm-hmm. they had children underfoot. They were trying to work. School Schools were closed. Daycares were closed. Um, and so it was a really exceptional opportunity for us to have that openness of, you know, of, of wanting to try something. Um, so it was a real accelerator for our company. It was also the fact that um, from a t- kind of more technical backend side, CPMs or the, you know, cost to acquire mm-hmm. customers was really low. And so we were able to take advantage of that. And we had very strong retention metrics, meaning, you know, we were really keeping our customers the same pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. So once you became a customer, you know, you wanted to stay a customer. For us, what we saw this shift, which was really exciting, was we shifted really deeply into the mass market. So mm-hmm. our fastest growing segment are families that are making less than 50000 a year. Um, we saw, you know, the really like the scale of the business and the, you know, this diversity and geographically expand through the pandemic. And it was a, a really kind of accelerator for us in terms of getting to mass with the brand. So interesting. So you can't look at your product and your product sales as being on the coast, as as people always say, that those are the people that are, you know, whatever, more educated, more. We threw that out the door as well. I mean, it was very much scattered throughout the U.S. for sure and where people want better products. And I think that clearly I can see that happening with yours as, as well. So you've founded a couple of companies now. What do you think are the like key things that you've learned or maybe that you you did differently this time? Yeah. I mean, I will say that the key things that I've learned is just the power of partnership and mm-hmm. co-founding a company. So my co-founder Shazi in the first business, you know, we, you know, just there's that sort of that all those early challenges, you know, having somebody who's, you know, you can think through problems together was just really powerful. Um, what I learned, um, I was when Shazi and I first started, I was 49%. She was 51. It was her idea um, to build the company, you know, from a lot of perspectives, is incredibly generous of her to invite me in at 49%. Mm-hmm. Um, with Love Every, I wanted to actually be equal it with my co-founder. So when Rod and I became partners, we decided that we were going to do 50-50. And so that's been kind of an interest, you know, just I think a sh- like a, a very subtle shift, um, but it actually represents a lot in terms of how um, kind of we behave as co-founders. And, you know, I think practically speaking, um, both co-founders need to kind of agree on what you're going to build together and go forth together. And that's very much, you know, Shazi and I would always get there and we'd always have healthy debate. It was like really so fun to build that company with her. I think with Rod and me, there's just, I think after being number two and knowing how that feels, 
um, I really wanted him to be um, feeling like we, I really wanted an equal partner in, in the business. And so that was a big kind of, I think, learning for me. And I think, you know, we've been incredible partners. He's running a lot of the revenue generation and I'm running a lot of the product development. And we, you know, we, we really are a great, a great pair that way. Now, but you're the CEO of the company. I am the CEO. Yes. So it was my idea and I'm the CEO. He's the president um, with Happy Family. Um, I was the COO. Shazi was the CEO. So, you know, so there's always, there's, there's, you know, the different roles, but I think that there's kind of in the foundation of the business. I think for me, it was, it was important to kind of build from an equity standpoint, um, equality. Definitely. So what are, what is some of the best advice that you heard about, you know, throughout your journey and, and being an entrepreneur, maybe even advice that you don't think is necessarily true to, true today and building two companies in two different industries? Oh, the best advice. I mean, I think that um, the best advice that I've heard that I would continue to stand behind is just obsession and obsession with your customer. Mm-hmm. And so now I think that we are in this really special place with Love Every where we've been listening and then building products to now we are in a place of truly kind of co-creating with our customers. Mm-hmm. And so we have this book, uh, Every Play Kit comes with a book that we've developed and it's based on kind of Montessori principles of real photography, real stories. Children love them. There's a child, there's a, one of our play kits has a story of a little boy skinning his knee at the park. And, you know, it's like, and he gets an owie and it's a, it's a big owie. And there's some, you know, we retouch some blood into that knee and it, it's like the child children's favorite page. They just want to linger on that page. A one and two year olds just really, really want to talk about getting hurt. And they want to know about how Max felt. And it's like very relatable to them. And so we developed these books and we put it out there that we are really excited to hear from our customers. Do they have ideas for books or stories that have not yet been told? And so we um, heard from our customers that, you know, we had, you know, really kind of we're telling a lot of stories, but we were missing a really important story. And that was a story of indigenous nations and the Native American story. And so very much like books can be mirrors to children, like Max getting hurt in the park and, you know, skin knees, and they can relate to that mirror, that frame of seeing themselves in that moment. Books can also be a window into another culture, another world, if you can find a way to relate. And so we partnered with a parent of a three-year-old in who's a member of the Coeur d'Alene tribe. And it's the story of Adela coming home. And she gets to put on her regalia with her grandmother and her mother, and they smudge and they go on a you know a canoe ride and she gets to you know play the drum and have some sort of really kind of be in her homeland. But every child can relate to getting dressed up. And so um, Adela gets to wear lipstick and we have, you know, just this like she, you know, this photo of Adela getting lipstick applied and she's in her regalia and all three-year-olds love to get dressed up. And so they can really relate to that story. So, th- so that story of indigenous cultures was really driven by our customers. They were asking us for the story to be told that we were missing the story. Another example is a customer came to us, her daughter's a limb difference. And she said, I want to tell my daughter a story. She was, we don't know why, but she was born with one leg much shorter than the other. She has a prosthetic leg and I want to tell her story. And so we co-authored a book with her, flew down, did photography of, of her and her daughter and her daughter meeting a girl at the park named Pearl, who in this story, and it was a fictitious story, but it was kind of mirroring what little 
Alora had experienced was very curious and kind of inappropriate. You know how kids can ask inappropriate questions about other people's yeah. bodies? Yeah. And so she was asking these inappropriate questions and wanting to touch Alora's prosthetic leg. And so it was a it was really kind of like helping this parent kind of tell her daughter's story. And it was so special. And it's like this co-creation with customers that I think is really fueling our growth from here. It's really like a deep partnership. And I think that obsession with our customers and that obsession with testing and really understanding them led to us being able to kind of do this next level of co-creation. So interesting. So do you feel like the, uh, obviously retail uh, as uh you know, we saw Toys R Us a few years ago go bankrupt and, and other retailers that are out there. Do you think that consumers are really looking for, uh, they're kind of doing a lot more research when they're doing, they're making these decisions? And, and uh, I mean, how do you think, what is the future of yeah this of this industry and and I mean I'm talking pretty broadly around toys too but I feel like people are more and more looking for stuff that is that is going to you know help expand conversations help uh, our kids be more and more creative I mean things that I think people are you know feeling today as adults are are you know, things that could help them even with mental health, with with ways to connect, have EQ. And, and I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, I, I think that it it really lays out the early development necessary in order to live a happier life. Yeah. And I think that there's just no more important kind of intention as a parent than to give your child the best. And that and that spans income, that spans demographics, that spans geography, that spans everything. It's just the human kind of desire to give your child the very best. And I think that that means you need to have a direct emotional connection to these companies and these services and these products that are helping guide you in those important early years. And you need to know that the company founders care about, you know, climate change and like care about the world that your child is going to grow up in, you know, 30 years from now, right? And that the toys that they're playing with aren't actually, you know, contributing. They might be wood, but they're they're actually sustainably forested. That you feel like you understand that they're empathetic and that they have this kind of right voice and that there's some there's there's a real desire I think for a human connection. I think that's what we're finding with this new economy. Um, parents are looking for a nerdy edge. They're looking for, they want the details. They want to know, um, they really care and they want to know more and feel connected to these products that they're bringing into their lives. So I think that the time of sort of disconnected, I'm just going to, you know, buy a toy and see if it's fun or, you know, there's, there's a time and a space for, for Mm -hmm. that, you know, parties and other things. But But when you're talking about holding a parent and a child through those early years and like building parent connection with their child and actually helping them feel confident, it's just very intimate. And so I think that for us, it's like our direct relationship with our customers, our subscription model, which is like a popular business model now, is essential to our mission. It's it's key to being able to fulfill our um, desire to really partner with parents and help them through those early years. I love it. So talk to people a little bit about your subscription model. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's really, it's the sort of the, we feel very lucky that like subscription businesses became popular because if you think about it, we, you know, I really sort of had this idea to create an early learning program 
And at the time, you know, subscription businesses were starting to trend. And it was so great because people were familiar with this sort of ongoing, you know, payments and ongoing relationship with the company, um, stage-based, you know, for us was so essential. Like we are there for you for every stage of your child's development. So subscription is sort of key because... Um, children develop, you know, at very kind of predictable windows. Um, there's a lot that's in common about early childhood. And so we want to just, there's, you know, if we can go deep in each stage, we can be there with the next play kit, with the next set of information. Um, so I think it was really lucky that, you know, people were also buying razors by subscription and buying things on Amazon by subscription and getting hint by subscription, exactly getting hints, deliveries by subscription and feeling confident that it was like going to show up when you were running out. So I think that that, you know, sort of behavior is, it was a really, was really, um, helpful for us because, you know, subscription was so core to who we wanted to be for the parent. And plus, at kids at any age want to get one new thing, right? Or a grouping of new things and to show up and actually get mail. I mean, I remember, you know, actually getting mail as a, as a kid that that was, you know, that was gold, right? I mean, to actually get something new and you want to rip up, open the box. And, you know, I, I think that that is, it, it's just brilliant, right? That it's not something that you actually have to go go in your car and go to a store. I mean, instead you get somebody on subscription program, you know that it's going to be healthy and better for them and they're going to learn something in the activity. And also I think I felt like you're also showing an opportunity for play with a parent, right? Or, you know, somebody else who a babysitter or whatever, where you can be creative and and let your imagination run. So it's a, it's such a good item. I highly recommend it for everybody. So it's, it's a super, super cool. So where can people find more information about love every, and then also just about you and and your company? Yes. So if you have a child between um, the ages of zero and four, um, we have a weekly stage-based email that you can sign up for. That's really kind of, again, that nerdy edge and that content. So it's at loveevery.com, L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. And then we offer our stage-based learning kits um, there as well. So we've got sort of the about us section and then you know, like why we started the company, but then also, you know, a lot of kind of content that's free for parents to help them understand what's happening with their child's development. I love it. So, so, so great. Well, thank you so much for disrupting this industry and disrupting the baby food industry too. I absolutely love talking to you about this because I think that, you know, the sky's the limit on what everyone can do if you really set your mind to it and doing something with purpose that actually makes the world better in in some way, which is what you've done twice now is just really, really awesome. And I, I think more than anything, as I was sharing with you earlier, I hope my podcast, the guests that I'm bringing on really shares what is possible and, and, you know, that you don't have to be in in the same industry or go do it again in the same industry. You can go switch industries. It really is about the idea and your ability to actually execute on that idea and build a team that you've proven out. So thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode two of the Kara Golden Show. We're here every Monday and Wednesday. And uh, definitely check out... uh, check out my social on Kara Golden on all social channels. And hopefully you've had a chance to 
purchase my book, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters on Amazon and lots of other fine bookstores. And of course, uh, pick up your favorite case of Hint Water on our website or in lots of stores all over the place. And thank you, everybody, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.